Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. We can talk about homelessness in the Bay Area as if it were one big problem. But the reality is that unhoused people are living through many different types of situations. Today we're focusing in on one specific experience, the Homeless Prenatal Program, which is located not far from our studio here and which has been serving pregnant women in extreme poverty for more than three decades. The organization has grown to serve hundreds of Bay Area families and has built a model that leads to better outcomes for children and mothers. We'll be joined by the organization's founder and its new executive director to talk about how homelessness has changed in our region and what they've discovered has worked through years of helping people in crisis situations stabilize their lives. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Pregnancy can be a magical thing under the right circumstances. Right there in a person's body, another being begins to take shape and then comes into this world. It's also a remarkably stressful time, physically, emotionally, financially. And that's if you have resources. What happens if you don't? What happens if you've been a victim of domestic violence or you're living in your car or in an encampment? That's where the Homeless Prenatal Program, which got its start in San Francisco and now serves hundreds of families, comes into play. They provide deep services to pregnant women and families with very young children, helping them find housing, getting them health care, providing parenting classes. And what they're doing seems to work in a landscape where sometimes solutions can feel hard to come by. We're joined this morning by Shalina Eskridge, the new executive director of San Francisco's Homeless Prenatal Program. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Good morning. And we're also joined by the program's founder and former executive director, Martha Ryan. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Martha. Um, Shalina, your mission is to stop the cycle of, of poverty. And let's talk about first, though, about what it means to be homeless and pregnant in this area with the cost of living and just the difficulty of life at times. What's the experience of unhoused mothers and kids in San Francisco? You know, it's, it's a difficult time, as you said. It's a difficult time for the, the mother who is pregnant. It's a difficult time for the child. Um, I think I often think about when they're, when they're there and they're pregnant and they're figuring out what's next. There's tons of barriers that are in the way, tons of barriers. Mm-hmm. So there's health care. Am I going to go? Am I, am I not? Do I have the time? Do I have the resources to get to an appointment to even check on my pregnancy? Do I have housing? Is that there? Am I stable? Probably not. And especially if they're experiencing homelessness, um, do I have a job? What's what's next? I think oftentimes they think about what's the future and what's to come. And those are very difficult times of like focusing on the here and now mm-hmm. as well as what's coming in the future. Yeah. I mean, what's the first thing you say to a mother who's coming to you for help who may have unstable housing or may be unhoused and who, who comes into the program? 
Oh, we said we got you. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got you. We can do this. What, what do you need? I think um, Homeless Pinedo is an amazing organization. We have amazing staff. Many of our staff, over half, come from the community. So they know they've been there, they experienced this, and they can come from a place of empathy, come from a place of being trauma-informed, come from a place of understanding. So when they come, it's not a place where you need to be shamed, um, where you need to feel as if you're not welcome. You come and we say, okay, well, what do we need? And we go through the list of things and we provide the support. We start from the from the bottom, from the beginning, from those basic needs. Is there housing? I mean, is there food? We have food distribution. Are there diapers? Getting you prepared for that. And so it's just little increment steps, I think, from the very beginning to get the family where they need to be to be able to deliver a healthy baby. I mean, what are the options for women in this situation? Like, what are their actual housing options? Let's, let's go there. In San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's shelter. Uh-huh. So we start there. There's interim housing. There's emergency housing. Um, and then there's the private market. Uh, there's, yeah, those are some of, some yeah. of the options. But I think what what's really challenging is how to access those resources and how to access that housing that's available. Um, And so within San Francisco, we have coordinated entry system. And so Mm -hmm. that is the system that all individuals who are experiencing some type of housing instability Mm -hmm. must go and be assessed um, for this housing intervention. And so that's usually where we start is getting families assessed. And with that assessment, you must tell, you know, all of your your struggles and all of your past traumas. And so it's an assessment in which we base like the worst experiences of your life and assess Mm -hmm. you to see if you're eligible for this particular, particular housing intervention. Um, And within San Francisco, there's extreme wait lists. We have, um, there's a affordable housing crisis on our hands. And so Mm -hmm. there's way more need for housing than there is what's available. Yeah. And that's the problem that we run into. Martha Ryan, I mean, you've been doing this work uh, since the the late 80s. How have you seen changes in kind of the options that are available to to women in this situation, to families in this situation? Well, in terms of housing, it wasn't that many years ago that we could house 400 families a year. And now we're lucky if we house 250. And there's just not housing that is available. And there are landlords are not willing Mm. to um, house or to rent to our families often. And so we have to create relationships with the landlords to be able to to, uh, to trust us, just like we create relationships with the families to trust us and uh, help them move into housing. But when the dot-com came in, Mm -hmm. they built a lot, a lot of buildings for work with no buildings for housing. And... What happened is people who came into work displaced the people who were living in the housing, and boom. And so we have, I have, when I started this program, there was one family shelter. And that wasn't even a family shelter. There were no beds. They were living on, sleeping on mats. And today, when you think about the number of shelters that we've had to build, mm-hmm. it's, it's a crime. It's a shame. I mean, to you, does it feel like... Man, it, it, it feels like it must be a frustrating situation to feel like even as more and more homeless services become available, more and more services for these families become available, we're creating, we're displacing more and more people out of affordable housing, right? And not building enough to replace it. 
That's right. That's true. But you know what? We believe at the Homeless Prenatal Program that we can solve family homelessness. And that's what we do. And that is our focus. And we can solve family homelessness because we invest in the families that we serve. And they move on. And we have hundreds of stories of people who have broken that cycle. Could you each just tell us one of those stories? Maybe, maybe, do you want to start a, a, a success story from the program? Oh, well, I'll start with myself, my mother. <laughs> <laughs> my mother being a success story. Uh, so my mother used homeless prenatal program um, when I was a young child. Uh, to She was fleeing from a tough situation and needed to obtain rent, um, back rent and no, I'm sorry, not rent. She needed to obtain... Like a deposit. Deposit, right? yes, yeah, yeah, the deposit. Yeah. I'm like, she needs to obtain the deposit for us to be able to live. And so she came. She went to Homeless Prenatal Program. Uh, she spoke with the case manager. That case manager provided her with the rent to be able to move into our own home. She was able to move into her own home. She worked with that case manager to then go to community college. She... Um, took me and my brother to a lot of her her work, her the school classes, to her work. She ended up um, really wanting to give back to the community as well as she had been through her own traumas and her own, um, you know, unfortunate situations growing up. So she knew that that's something that she wanted to do. And she had me there along the way as well as my brother. And so this is just one. Mm. This is just one story of so many more. And Martha can share some more as well of just someone who needed just a little bit to be yeah. able to. It's not always the the intense crisis where everyone is on the street is some who is just just barely making it or just lost their job and may need this extra push. And so we do that prevention work as well as this deep dive interventions um, for those who may have lost their way along, lost their path along the way. Yeah. You know, we actually we do have a little cut of your mom talking about um, the, the services that she received in homeless prenatal program. Let's, let's listen to it. I go down there and I meet this amazing worker. So she gets me my deposit. She helps me get furniture for my kids. And then she's going to step in. She helped me enroll in City College. She helped me get financial aid. And she helped me take my class. My mouth is getting dry. I'm getting overwhelmed. So she helped me get my classes. Because I still wanted to work with people and children in crisis. That is my goal. So as I started this journey, I took my kids on this journey with me. And from time to time, I would take them to class and they would sit in with me. Shuna, what's it like, I mean, to be now the executive director of this program that was crucial in your mom stabilizing your family's life? It's surreal. It's truly a surreal experience because I think about all the programs, I mean, we grew up in a low-income family, and programs were not, not something I'm not used to being a part of. And my mom having to access different resources to be able to afford us the opportunities that we were able to get. And so for me, it's always thinking of the work that we do is way more intentional and way more than I think anyone can imagine. Oftentimes we look outside and we see people and we see all the crisis that's happening. And I think it's the humanizing of individuals of like, this is someone's mom. This is someone's child Mm -hmm. that needs to be happening. I think about that as we do our services, as someone comes in and they're 
on that last leg or they don't know where they're going to get their next opportunity. They don't know where they're going to get their food for their child. They don't even know where they're going to have their baby. And that's what I think keeps pushing me and just knowing that my mom, you know, access these resources and look what happened. And so I know it's possible. I know you can break the cycle. I know with resources, I know with opportunity that this, you know, we can make a difference. And it's solvable. I think all the time people are, oh, it's not. Or they're, they over become overwhelmed by the circumstances. Yeah. But we've been doing it. And nonprofits have been around. And we've been making difference. We've been changing lives. And so we, we have models. It's just like that political will and the investment, intentional investment and communication amongst all the parties that be to make the changes. Yeah. Why do you think people feel so hopeless about being able to, you know, as you say, kind of solve you know, family homelessness? Oh, because we become overwhelmed. Oh, I think it's, it's this idea of being overwhelmed of like we can't or there's nothing we can do. Nothing has changed over time. Even as Martha said, this was it's getting worse. But th- that's not that's not necessarily true because we've helped hundreds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've had over 100,000 in the last 30 years. And so this isn't anything that we can't do. But I think it's just being Overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the situation, overwhelmed by the thought, and really feeling like we can't make changes. Mm-hmm. But we can. Yeah. We're talking about ways to help people break out of the cycle of extreme poverty, in particular helping support pregnant women in unstable uh, housing situations. We're joined by Shalina Eskridge, the new executive director of San Francisco's Homeless Prenatal Program, and by the founders, the program's founder and former director, Martha Ryan. We'd love to hear from you. Has your family struggled with intergenerational poverty? Did anything help you break the cycle? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Maybe you faced housing insecurity as a parent or as a child. You can email your experience to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram or KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about ways to break cycles of extreme poverty by helping to support pregnant women with unstable housing. We're joined by the founder and former director of the Homeless Prenatal Program, Martha Ryan, and the new executive director, Shalina Eskridge. Wanted to talk a little bit, uh, Martha, just about what it, what the kind of the relationship between your program and like foster care, like what are what are some of the worries that people have about going to access services 
when they know that maybe the the state may not think that they should have their children. Right. Um, well, that's definitely a reality. Uh, sometimes moms don't get prenatal care because they're afraid that if somebody at the hospital th- sees that they're homeless and they won't be able to take care of their child and memories are long in the community and they know that babies have been taken away in the past. And so it, it is a reality. We do have a program. It's called the Family Treatment Court. And the Family Treatment Court works with um, the uh, Child Protective Services. And the aim is to keep families together. And we actually work with a judge, Judge Kathleen Kelly. And she robes up and we go to her uh court and we do the work with the clients in the uh, uh, in the community and these are families that are at the last leg of possibly keeping their children losing their children potentially losing their children and keep them together and that program is staffed by people who went through the program mm. so they now shepherd others to go through and and it works we just celebrated 15 years but we do worry about mm. people not making it and then about the child being in foster care, and then what happens? You know, children want to be with their parents. Yeah. That's just a innate desire. Shalene, I think maybe what may be in some listeners' heads is, well, what about like women who are really struggling with substance abuse issues? Mm-hmm. Say, right? Um, talk to talk to me about the kind of intersection of those of those issues. There are there are issues, and there there are women that may struggle, and that's okay. But I think what the focus needs to be on is. Uh, being able to provide the treatment, being able to provide trauma-informed treatment, harm reduction services for those individuals. And at Homeless Prenatal, we have that. We have someone who has been through their own struggles, been through their program, and is now certified um, to be able to provide substance abuse counseling and so in a non-judgmental way. And so you come and you need support, and we have that. We can provide you with those, with those services that are needed. When we talk about the other things, the other challenges that people are facing in this situation, in kind of researching the show, I mean, domestic violence comes up so, so often. So how, how do you make sure that women have a safe space during this time? Yes, that's true. Domestic violence is actually a leading cause of homelessness for families. And so we also have someone from the community who has worked with us for Ooh, 29 years, right? 29 years and has provided domestic violence services to our women. Um, she started her own group that has been going on for a very long time. Martha probably can share a little bit more about that group. What is it? Yeah, it's a, it's a Latina support group, and they mm-hmm. really experience um, uh, domestic violence. And so she is a Latina herself, and she keeps the group together. There's somebody who dials in from Mexico. Uh, who actually were turned down there. But they build community. That's what we do. We help people, and she helps people come together and learn how they can support others. But it is is a reality. Domestic violence is a problem. And, I mean, how do you help people in that situation? I understand they're building community, but, like, what are the outcomes of that community building? Well, we do try to find safe spaces for them to go to. And oftentimes there's no room in the inn. You know, I mean, there's, there's just not enough domestic violence shelters. Mm. So we will look for a shelter outside of San Francisco. And I never know where any of these shelters are, but you'll call, mm-hmm. you'll reach somebody, they'll go on BART, they'll go to this station, this person will, bearing, will, be, will be wearing a certain blouse, and then boom, the uh, mm. connection is made, and we don't hear mm. from the client again. 
And that's okay. That's good. That's what we want. We want her to get away and to be safe in another environment. And I would add the other thing is uh, safety planning. And so Mm -hmm. not everyone is ready to flee or able to flee in a Mm -hmm. safe way. And so working with our case managers around safety planning, when is it safe? How do we provide the services that you may need in a way where it's comfortable? And then getting them to that point, hopefully through motivational interviewing or whatever, to the point where they can make a decision to leave if if that is what they choose to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us is literally providing that space, the care that is needed in a trauma-informed way, so that way individuals know all their options available to them, and then they can make those choices on what they want to do for their own family. When you say trauma-informed care, can you talk to us a little bit about the development of that kind of theory in the social work world? Oh, it's been around for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And really what what it is is the idea that um, all individuals, there's some type of incident that may cause stress or strain on them and their families or their lives, um, which is some form of trauma. And then the idea is to provide the care that is needed to address that. And mm-hmm. so it's been happening for many, many years. And what we really want to do is look at the idea of being able to support individuals where they are, provide them with what they need in a way that is culturally appropriate, linguistically appropriate, mm-hmm. to be able to support them. Yeah. So. We're talking about ways to support pregnant women and families in extreme poverty and perhaps even without housing. We're joined by Shalina Eskridge. She's the new executive director of the Homeless Prenatal Program, and Martha Ryan, the program's founder and former director. We'd love to hear from you. Have you faced housing insecurity as a parent or as a child? What was your experience? Were you able to or did you try to get help? Can you give us a call? 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Martha, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you think you've has has worked in this model that you've been developing since the late eighties? Like, what are the key components that you feel like should be replicated or or built upon? Well, I would start with staff. Um, the investing in your staff. We, um, we more than always from the beginning of the program, we've had a former client as part of our staff because that client could reach people that we couldn't reach. But we didn't just use that client. We invested in that client. We had a, a program where cli- former clients could take get four hours of paid time and that uh, in education, and that could be a GED, that could be an AA, that could be a certificate mm-hmm. program, or could be a BS or a master's. And people have taken advantage of that. Mm-hmm. I have one woman who took advantage of that. Her name is Carla. Carla was with us for about 26 years, maybe a little wow. longer, maybe 28 years and she now is a licensed clinical social worker she was providing services mental health services to clients that look like her which is really an effective way to give services she was hired by uh, Kaiser in Vallejo to set up maternal and child programs there so that they could better serve the African-American community so when you have people like Carla who tell you what to do who tell you what people need. And if you listen to people, I think listening is key. Um, but it is really important to invest in them so that they can be their best self and build programs around them and create this non judgmental space where people can come in and get the services. And when they stumble, that's okay. We all do. You know, welcome them back, help them back on their feet again. 
Shona, do people feel a lot of shame for being in the situation that they're in, like pregnant and maybe without a place to live? I mean, because I'm just hearing, you know, kind of wanting to have an inclusive and welcoming space seems like it's to make sure that people feel like they can really come there no matter how they're feeling. Shame is absolutely a part of it. So we have our Jelani House, which is our interim transitional housing program, 16 months for pregnant, postpartum women having children. And we have seen time and time again, individuals come literally beaten down by this, by society, by their circumstances, and just lit- with nothing else, nowhere to go, no thoughts of what what's coming next for them, coming literally in with the clothes on their back mm. and are like, I'm hopeless. And then also there's this hardened shell that happens. So there's mm. the putting up of the wall, not wanting the services because of all this past trauma and things that you've experienced. And it takes time, but it takes the dedication of the staff. It takes the individual knowing that they can ask for help and us being able to provide that. And we've seen individuals who come into that program who take advantages of everything that we have to offer. We have a pre-apprenticeship program, um, which really helps us our community health worker program. And so really focusing on job training and education. They come in, they do that. They get their um, their voucher. They may get a voucher for permanent supportive housing mm-hmm. um, or some type of subsidy. They leave our program with their child. We provide... Um, furniture for them, the first and last month mm-hmm. rent, and then they go and thrive. And then we have some that come back and join our community health worker program, 16 months in that program. And what's really great about homeless prenatal program is then a lot of them, as, as best we can, we hire them on staff. Mm-hmm. And so then they're able to work. And then once again, the cycle is broken. And we've seen this time and time again. And so, yes, may people may come in with shame, may feel downtrodden by their situation, but there is always hope and there is always the the next step of being able to overcome that. Yeah. Martha Ryan, do you feel like that as homelessness, uh, particularly street homelessness, has has increased, that there's been a kind of political backlash to, to helping people who are in these situations? I do. I think that people see what's going on in the street and they have this knee-jerk reaction about how to take care of it. And that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't work. I mean, you can't sweep people off and expect them not to come back again. And, and And I think that we have, by just focusing on what we see, then the invisible homeless, the families, are the ones that get bypassed. And I think sometimes people just don't want, they hope that they're not families that are homeless. But I'm telling you, they're, they're, they're on couches, mm-hmm. they're in SROs. SROs are right. a room with a bed, no kitchen facilities, bathroom down the hall. They're in cars. I mean, it's not okay um, to have little uh, eight, nine-month-olds learning how to crawl in a car. Yeah. Mm. You, you know what's uh, unfortunate about that is because it's so visual and because we could see it, you have people in the community who may say, oh, well, you know, blame. Blame the, the people who are unhoused and blame them for their situation. But it's not them. We have to think about what led this person to homelessness. How did this person even get here in the first place? And often there's this, oh, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on out there and make something of yourself. But what if that person doesn't have boots? Well, how can you pull those boots up in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Let's, um, we actually have uh, Carla on the line. Carla in San Francisco, welcome. Hi, good morning. I wanted to surprise Miss Martha and <laughs> Shalina Carla. 
And I'm here listening to the forum, and I just want to say, first of all, congratulations, Shalina. I'm so very, very proud of you. And I wanted to just reach out and support this morning. And, you know, it's been a blessing to be at Homeless Prenatal, um, first as a client and second as a person who assisted others to come out of homelessness. And um, I have the entire background. I was a mom who fell victim to substance abuse, you know, issues and did a treatment program and ended up um, going to Homeless Prenatal and, and doing one of their support groups. And I think what really helped me, although all those services were there, it was just the general fact of seeing others that gave me hope, others who was coming out of similar issues that I had, you know, that gave me hope to say, I can do it. And I think that's what prenatal, homeless prenatal does, is that this building on 18th and Potrero is a glimmer of hope, that if this person who's coming in the door, who's leaving out with all of these um, attributes to be able to just kind of know who they are and to be able to have the service to, to move forward, um, that was my glimmer of hope, mm. you know, my light anyway. And so I just wanted to call in and support the program because it is a, a place, and that's the reason it's been around so long, because we have been breaking the, the cycle of homelessness. Um, I was able to go to school. Martha talked about the school program. I went to school, and I started off getting a certificate for a uh, community health worker. And I went all the way through the entire time that I was at Homeless Prenatal, and I ended up with my master's in social work. Oh, wow. And so I could never thank that program enough because I really didn't know exactly where I was going to go after I left that treatment program. And I one day went in there, and, and someone encouraged me to apply for the CHW program, and I did. And it really changed my life. It changed my children's life. Um, one of my sons was able to go to a top boarding school in the country called Thatcher. Um, you know, it, wow. it just changed my view of what, how life could be. You know, the... Yeah. the yeah, so I'm sorry. I hope I didn't... No, I no, no, Carla. I actually just wanted to ask you another question. Uh, Carla, yeah. what I wanted to know was, you know, what do you think people who aren't in the situation themselves don't understand about women who find themselves in the situation that you were in? I think exactly what Shalina just spoke about. If you don't understand that this person may be a victim of abuse, you know, they may be trying to make a relationship work that is just not working and they eventually get the courage to leave. And once they leave, you know, because abuse is not just um physical. Mm -hmm. It's financial. It's emotional. It's all of those things. And so when that woman is broken down to the floor, you know, enough to where she's like, I can't do this anymore. And I want to break this cycle for my children who's seeing this abuse and they flee. You can't, you end up in homelessness, mm -hmm. but there's programs like homeless prenatal that will be there right for you, you know, right there for you when you are ready to take that leap. I think people don't understand how the grip of addiction works. If we look downtown San Francisco and see the many people who are out there, they don't want to be out there. But that grip of addiction is so tight on them that they have lost that hope. And again, if you walk through the doors at homeless prenatal, you will see that there are people, like Martha said, formerly former clients who are now working there that can give you that glimmer of hope. Hope is what's lost sometimes.
you know, and I, I really appreciate homeless prenatal because that's what they instilled in me, that there is still a chance for me and my children to be somebody and to give back into the community like we've been doing for the last 30, 30 plus years at homeless mm-hmm. prenatal. Martha, you got to. Got to thank Carla. Thank you, Carla. Well, Carla is pretty unusual, as many of many others are. I mean, they need opportunities, and that's what we don't do. I think the missing word in homelessness is opportunities. We don't provide them for people to be able to help them get out of homelessness. Carla, you're amazing. Or two. That's why I couldn't. I said, let me call in and support my program. I appreciate you guys. I do have to go see a patient. But I just wanted to to call in and and share that. Of course. Okay. You You guys have a a blessed day. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, how here's what I want to know. We know that not everyone's going to have Carla's outcome, right? Not everyone's going to get a master's degree. But, like, what's the outcome that you, like, where do you say, okay, this was a success? You know, maybe it's not getting a master's degree, but what, what like, how do you define success for someone who comes through the program? No, because we don't. The clients define the success. We can't determine what's successful for you. We work with you. We work alongside you to get you where you want to go. So everyone isn't going to go to, yeah, exactly, a master's. Or everyone isn't. Some people say, hey, I may just want to come in and just talk to you. I may just want to get diapers. That's it. We have people. So we have that's why we have low barrier. Come in. No questions asked. Get what you may need and build the relationship. And over time, they may. But we don't define success. Mm, that's a really interesting way to think about it. We are talking about ways to support pregnant women and families in extreme poverty. We're joined by Shalina Eskridge. She's the new executive director of the Homeless Prenatal Program. And we're also joined by Martha Ryan, who founded the program in 1989 and is the former director. We'd love to hear from you. What questions do you have about combating this particular type of homelessness for families in San Francisco and across the Bay Area? Or maybe you yourself have faced housing insecurity as a parent or as a child. What was your experience and were you able to get the help that you needed? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. The email is form at kqed.org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Shalina Eskridge, the new executive director of the Homeless Prenatal Program, and Martha Ryan, program's founder and former director, talking about things that have worked for to support women uh, in very difficult uh, situations. Love to hear from you if you have questions about combating family homelessness here in San Francisco, what you think has worked for you or what you think could work for the city. The number, again, is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. Let's uh, bring in caller uh, Mike in Daly City. Welcome, Mike. Hey, good morning. Uh, slightly off topic, but there was a mention at the beginning of the show that there were more people that needed Mm-hmm. housing than housing was available and the relationship with landlords that may not want to rent mm-hmm. to their clients. And I'm wondering if anything either by the city or by this organization have looked into people who want to move out of San Francisco, which would of course create openings for housing. I know several people in that category either for mm-hmm. financial reasons, job reasons, family reasons, abuse reasons, you know, they know people in Oklahoma or Seattle or somewhere that they'd be happy to move, but they can't afford it. Hmm. And maybe a few thousand dollars of allowing them to pay first month's rent in some other state or city, wherever they want to go outside of San Francisco, voluntarily might create more housing. Hmm. And this doesn't just apply to this program. This would be citywide, might want to look at it. Hey, Mike in the city, uh, thank you for that idea. I mean, Martha Ryan, you, you all over time have tried, I'm assuming, a lot of different models. You've worked with a lot of different um, you know, housing situations. Talk to me a, a little bit more about what you think has worked in terms of actually creating places for women to go. I, I think uh, creating relationships with landlords, um, getting them to be able to rent to us, to tr- you know, to believe in us, and for us to be working with a family simultaneously. Uh, you know, often when you place a family who's never been in a home and is now a new family and they move into a home, they don't necessarily know how to do everything. So it's important to be able to go into the home and to do what we call home visits to make sure that everything is, is going well. And, um, you know, we have this one story, and the story is this family hadn't ever had a dishwasher, and they had a brand-new baby, and they didn't know that it was for dishes, and so they put laundry detergent in to wash mm-hmm. the clothes. And um, a reasonable thing to do if you didn't know, and that caused a lot of damage. And so, you know, you you have to be able to to help work with people. But I think permanent, supportive, affordable, 100% affordable housing is the way to go. And that's what we're going to do. And, you know, I think Mike raises a good point of, other options, other cities, yes, we do it. There's, We have vouchers, and a lot of times we do have to house people outside of the city. That's not a preference. And why? Because of displacement. We've already displaced so many communities, and especially communities of color. And what we've seen, we have one woman we placed in Antioch, you know, what, an hour or so away, with a, a newborn child, no, no support system, all of her family is still mm-hmm. in the city, and that, that actually doesn't help. 
You know, so mm-hmm. now she's depressed. She's facing postpartum, and she's there. And also, the, there are not as as many resources as as there are in San Francisco. So I think in a lot of ways, yes, in certain safety situations, absolutely, we look outside of the city. Mm-hmm. We want to keep our families here in the city because mm-hmm. this is where they are from. This is where they are raised. This is where they want to raise their children. This mm-hmm. is where opportunities are. And so we're really looking to see how can we build more affordable housing here in the city. How do we, um, yeah, have housing available here for families? Yeah. What do you think, Shalina, about the way that the sort of nonprofit homeless ecosystem works in San Francisco, right? There's a lot of different um, components to it. There's a lot of different agencies, a lot of different, like, do you think it's working the way that it needs to? We need more of a unified approach, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's working in some form, right? There is housing. There's not enough, uh, but there's not. So you're right. We have adult Mm-hmm. We have family. We have Tay. And so all of these different organizations and different, you know, collectives of people are working and fighting for the same type of housing to be able to house individuals that need it. Mm-hmm. And there there needs to be more of a unified approach to be able to address this on all fronts. And I, I think the city's they're trying. Mm-hmm. I could see. I mean, they're what they're they homeless and supportive housing has put out their what strategic plan, obviously wanting to build more affordable housing. So the thought is there is just how do we do it? How do we now turn this? How do we move past the bureaucracies and all of the other laws and things that are in place to actually put people in homes? But we're, yeah. we're, we're getting ready to do it. We're getting ready to do it. And <laughs> another thing I would add is that partnerships. Nobody, not one organization, can end the cycle of homelessness on their own. You have to partner with other nonprofits, with the city, and with the community. I mean, we partner with a lot of schools, private schools, and and they come and give us support uh, for our families, as well as different uh, corporations. Mm-hmm. You know, um, how do you go? So I know one thing you all are working on is actually building permanent affordable housing next door to your building here, here in San Francisco. Talk to me about just like the... What did you not understand about how easy or hard it is to build affordable housing before you started trying to do it yourself? Well, certainly (laughs) purchasing it was a difficult task. We had to borrow the money to do it, but it was right next door to us, and I certainly didn't want to have a developer buying it. it. We want it for the community and for the people. Uh, We had to change the zone. So we had to get a zone change because it was a, uh, uh, a warehouse. And so to build housing, we had to change the zoning. And um, then there's a lots of things that you have to go through in yeah. terms of getting things done. So that's hard. But the hardest part is raising the money. And this is not the time to be raising the kind of money that we need to be able to do this. But we are working with Mercy Housing, mm-hmm. and we're building 74 units of 100% affordable housing. And on the bottom two floors, we'll keep the two floors. We're going to connect them to create like a campus feel. Mm -hmm. And it'll be, for the most part, it'll be a workforce development. You You can't have somebody move into housing without the opportunity to get a job to be able to pay for the rent once the subsidies are gone. Mm. So it's always moving forward. Yeah. Um, you know, one of our listeners, really this is coming to you, one of our um, listeners tweets, I grew up with a single mom of three on government assistance. My mom tried her best and took jobs to get off welfare. In my opinion, assistance should be a stepping stone and not permanent. Uh, what's your like kind of organization's approach to 
should assistance be a stepping stone? Do people need permanent help over time? Like, how do you think about it? Oh, a little bit of both. We need interventions for all type of families and not just one. So, yes, for this, maybe for this, in this case, you only need a little bit and you only need it for a short period of time. For example, my mother, she needs a little bit for a short period of time to get over that hump. And then you have some that may need a long term because there's other things that may be, there may be combating. There may be mental health. There may be those substance use challenges where it's going to take a little longer to work through some of those other things to be able to you know, afford themselves the future they want. So I don't I don't think it's not one size fit all. Every family is unique and every family needs something different to be able to support them in the way that they need. And I think back to what Martha like we have to ask families. Go to them. What do they need? So everyone needs something different. What do they need? Yeah. They have the solutions. You know, it's interesting, like in it, we did a show recently on welfare and like cash aid, you know, um, temporary assistance for, for needy families. How does that play into the lives of the people that you work with? You know, both given that it has been changed so much and also um, that at least, you know, as we uh, developed it in the show last week, there's just a lot of problems with accessing those those dollars. Accessing those dollars and the services that come with those dollars. It's not easy. It's, you know, it's a governmental program. And so along with that, there are restrictions and it is hard for people to fill out the forms. Have you looked at the forms to go down to the office to sit there and to wait? The work requirements that go on. The work requirements. And what kind of work are we talking about? Let's, I I really believe that people need to have work that is going to let them exit poverty. Not, it, not, not stopgap jobs, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's what you have. You don't right. want to be checking off a box. You want people to be moving forward. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, when we talk about um, city policy, Martha, I, Shalina, I gave you the policy question earlier too, but I want to know, um, are there things that right now you know are happening in the way that the city deals with you know this broader issue of homelessness that you feel like are counterproductive and that need to be changed (laughs) well you know the city's changing this too and and there is a system called coordinated entry and every single homeless family has to go through that to be determined what kind of housing they'll get and it does not necessarily work Mm -hmm. you have to be at the lowest place for the longest time in order to percolate to the top to be able to get the services you need. Mm -hmm. And if you're a person like Shalina's mother who just needs a little, well, guess what? You're not going to get that because you're going to be go. You're going to sit. They're going to say, go back to the bottom of the Mm -hmm. list. And you don't ever want people to become homeless again. You want to be able to help people who are able to make it and then spend your time working intensively with the people who need more. Yeah. It does seem really difficult because we do want to help people who are the worst off, though, too, right? So how do you balance the system between people who might be able to springboard out of that situation and those who really are in, in, in desperate times? Like, how do you think about balancing those things, Shalina? I think they're, we're trying as a city. And so you go through coordinated entry. That's one stop gap. And then they have something called problem solving, which are is intended for those individuals who need maybe just a little bit of support. And so they may need the rent paid or they may need a bill paid at you know someone's house that they're staying at. And those are OK, but it's not a long term solution. And it's not a long term solution for individuals who are doubled up or couch surfing to be able to provide a stable family. And so it's good, but it's not good enough. 
And so we do need to be better. We do need to have more affordable housing. We need to have options available immediately. I think removing barriers and immediate access to these housing options would Mm -hmm. be good. We need to expand the Housing Choice um, Voucher Program, also known as Section 8. That would be really exciting because we know that that works. Give the individual this housing for a long period of time, and they can sustain. And they can get off that program if they make enough money, or they could stay on for as long as they need to be able to raise their family and be able to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so these are the type of things that we need to do within our community. Can, can I say something? Yeah. You know, we, we've, the city has invested hundreds of millions of dollars, and we haven't really seen the needle move that far. Right. You know, I think Michael Tubbs had something going on there when he had this basic income. Mm-hmm. You know, people didn't squander it. They used it for how they needed it. And we even had a little... A, practice of that during the pandemic. We had a a very generous anonymous donor give us half a million dollars that was to go directly to the families we served. Mm -hmm. So we got $500 gift cards from Visa. And then afterwards, we asked people, what what did you use them for? Fix the brakes on my car so I could go to work. Mm -hmm. I bought clothes for my child. I bought food. I paid bills. I it it was all things that we all pay for. But they didn't have the extra money. Mm-hmm. I think we should start thinking about things like that. Yeah. It seems like we, we've had many discussions on the show about the possibility of that as uh, <laughs> part of the future. Shalina, um, I wanted to ask you about pregnancy specifically as kind of a window of opportunity. Like, do you think there's something special about that time that people make big changes in their lives? Oh, it is. It absolutely is the window of opportunity. It's at that point in which, if you think about a life, a newborn life is being brought into the world. So we have a blank slate. We have an opportunity to mold, to shape, to provide the interventions, to provide the early education, to make sure that this child meets all the milestones, to provide the support for the mother. It's just this this new hope and opportunity that is there that is so critical and needed. And I think we definitely need to focus more on uh, providing yes, pregnant women exactly what they need to be able to thrive, and we we've, we've done it. Like I've, I've keep bringing up Jelani, mm-hmm. but it's there because it is a program in which individuals come in pregnant and have that opportunity to thrive and get all the resources they need for their child, all the prenatal care and support, postpartum support to be able to move to the next stage of their life. Yeah. Um, one listener writes in to say, I'm not a mother and I'm not homeless, but I am a woman and can understand having a hard time leaving an abusive relationship and being overwhelmed by the situation. Hearing about other women who have been in such vulnerable positions and made it through stronger and were able to accomplish their dreams is inspiring. And that there are other women out there who dedicate their entire lives to helping other women succeed yeah. is even more so. Another listener writes, uh, I'm so happy to hear that there are programs like this in place and still going. How's the program funded? Is there fundraising? How can this program be pushed to the forefront beyond this spot on form? Well, uh, we're funded about half the, uh, we have a $16 million budget. Half of that comes from the uh, the city government, mm-hmm. and that's usually for housing. So it's direct deposits and money for the, and staffing. Uh, we have foundations that we write to and they support us. We do have two fundraisers. And um, so we just cobble it together. Um, uh, to make it work, and to and, and we make it work. I mean, we started at fifty-two thousand dollars in nineteen eighty-nine, and so mm-hmm. we're sixteen million now. It and something works, and I think it's because as Shalina started the program, saying, "I think we care." You know, we we care about the work that we do, and we believe in the potential of the families that we serve, 
and we give them the opportunities to succeed. And yeah. and so and we are having a capital campaign. We, oh, that we makes could, sense. We yeah, could, we could <laughs> use some help to get that building up. <laughs> um, Shalina, as you think about this organization going, you know, the next thirty years, let's say. I mean, what what are the goals? Um, can like, yeah, just talk to me. What do you want to do in the next 30 years of this organization? Oh, in homelessness. Break the cycle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely want to do that. Wanna, we're doing more housing, and so that's exciting, being able to do more housing, be able to provide more mental health support, being able to do workforce development and expand our community health worker program and other um, workforce programs. Um, I mean, the future is, is limitless. Yeah. yeah. What about the women who've been through the program who now um, work for you? Like, how does like how do you get feedback from them to say like where where's our next move? Right? Because I know that's a big part of your your program is to like really listen to the people who are closest to the problem. Well, that's great. So we actually need to do it's called strategic planning, and so being <laughs> able to have a strategic plan that we're going to have um, to really see what is next. So we've been here 33 years. We we have our programming. Our programming is solid and strong. We know that it works. Our intensive case management program, we know that it works. We know we have great outcomes for our families. And so really what's next and where do we need to focus and how do we include the community in that? So that is our participants, our clients, our staff, being able to ask things. And I think always having an open door policy. We get feedback all the time. Our executive team is extremely strong. They get feedback from individuals. And so it's incorporating and creating a space where people feel they can say what they need and that we'll listen and be able to mm-hmm. make the changes that we need to make. Yeah. Well, we uh, are coming to the end of the show here. Uh, one listener um, just wanted to shout out uh, amazing Love the Caller success story, Carla, who called in earlier. She took the help that was offered and was given the opportunity to realize her potential. Beautiful. Yeah. We have been talking about ways to support pregnant women and families who are unhoused or living in extreme poverty. We've been joined by Martha Ryan, who founded the Homeless Prenatal Program back in 1989 and just recently stepped down as a director. Thank you so much for joining us this hour, Martha. Oh, thank you for having me. And we've been joined by Shalina Eskridge. She is the new executive director of the Homeless Prenatal Program. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's an honor. (laughs) You have been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Coming up next, you've got an hour of Forum with guest host Scott Schaefer. Stay tuned. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi 
all over the house, even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.